Good evening. This information was in the Lehman Learner, but I didn't hear it announced this morning, so now would be a good time to make note of it. Everybody make sure to congratulate uh, Nick and Bailey Debris on the birth of their son, Briggs Colson, who was born on um, November 21st, and also the proud grandparents. We rejoice with them, and as already been shared in the Lehman Learner, Big Sister is happy about that, and so it's a time of blessing for them, and we want to congratulate them on the addition to their family. As we were being led and singing, one of the lines on Anywhere with Jesus is anywhere with Jesus, I can go to sleep, and that might be true, but hopefully not tonight. I know the weather sort of has us primed for it, but hopefully we'll be engaged tonight to study God's Word together. It's an unofficial holiday. We don't really know when it started. Some people say you can credit the ancient Romans. It was a festival which they termed hilaria at one point. It's Latin for joyful, and it was said during this time based on some things that happened with some cults in Rome in response to some copying the Egyptians. They started this festival where near the end of March they would get together and they would mock magistrates and other citizens and dress up like them. But others come along and say, no, April Fool's goes back until a time when in 1582, you remember when France switches over from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar and the new year is no longer on April 1st. Instead, it's on January 1st. And everybody that was slow to come to terms with it was then known as an April Fool. Wherever it started, wherever it begun, is here with us now. And every April 1st, some people participate more than others, but there are jokes and pranks and various things that are done. As we in our society, and rightly so, there's nothing wrong with this, we sort of make a mockery of just sort of having fun. We even use the term fool to talk about somebody who is silly or funny or comical. But in the ancient world, there was no higher word of insult that could be paid to somebody than a fool. If you go to ancient Near Eastern Palestine in the Old Testament or even the Greco-Roman era of the New Testament, a fool was a part of the binary choices that were offered to them with a wise person being on the other side. That's all you could either be. You could be a wise person or you could be a fool. And the one thing nobody wanted to be in the ancient world was a fool. But in order to avoid that fate, it had to be more than just wishing not to be a fool. It was a deliberate decision to go in the way of wisdom. Biblically speaking, a fool is not somebody who makes a misstep in the wrong direction. It's somebody who willfully chooses to live in a way in opposition of God. And they're not just mistaken. They're on their way to complete destruction. I was on a podcast recently with a friend of mine. and he was, We were talking about our favorite books of the Bible at the present moment. And he said right now his favorite book of the Bible is Proverbs. And he said part of the reason is in reading Proverbs, he's reminded of all the things that he doesn't know. We're reading it right now at night with our kids. And one of the things that comes up over and over again in the book of Proverbs is this idea of being wise versus the idea of being foolish. Proverbs 9 and verse 6, forsake the foolish way and live. The Hebrew word kasil for fool, it appears 40 times in Proverbs, 18 times in Ecclesiastes. And you know why that's the case. It's because ancient Bible literature, especially wisdom literature for the Old Testament, was designed to teach Israel how to live out the Old Testament law from Sabbath to Sabbath. And so when you get to the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, what they're trying to teach ancient Israelites is this is how you put the law into practice in your daily life. But it's not just in the wisdom literature. The Bible talks to us about fools in the narratives of first and second Samuel. It finds its way into Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and even in Paul's epistles. And the Bible is saying, I want you to go in the opposite direction and be a person that's wise. Are you a fool? You know, we live in a world where you can identify as anything in the world. And most people aren't self-identifying as fools. But God loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves, even if it makes us uncomfortable. 
You could pull a lot of passages from anywhere. But what we want to do tonight is just look at what the Bible says about being a fool, the biblical profile of a fool. Let's try to put it all together and build a sketch of the things that the Bible says are typical about somebody who is behaving and living like a fool and on their way to destruction. And as we do this tonight. Let us examine our own lives and be sure that these things aren't true about us. But as we look into this biblical profile, the mirror of God's word, if we find our reflection staring back at us as a result, the wisest thing we could do is to change our spiritual identity and go in the way of wisdom. Number one tonight, go ahead and turn your Bible to Proverbs 14. One of the first marks in the biblical profile of a fool is someone who lives as if God can't see them. Number one tonight, what's in the biblical profile of a fool? A person who lives like God can't see them. You know Psalm 14 and verse 1 probably before you turn there. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And I've often heard Psalm 14 and verse 1 quoted as a jab at atheists because they don't believe God exists. Psalm 53 is almost Psalm 14 verbatim. It's identical. And while atheism is a foolish and morally bankrupt philosophy, you know as well as I do that's not what David's driving at in this psalm. David was not writing to ancient Palestinian atheists. Instead, David was writing to people who already believed in God. If you make your way through the psalm after you get through Psalm 14 and verse one, what David is talking about is not intellectual atheism, but instead is practical atheism. David is talking about the person in Psalm 14 who believes in God with their head, but who doesn't believe in God with their hands. This person lives as if God can't see them and they won't be called into account for their every word, thought and deed. Notice the psalm in verse one. He says they're corrupt and they do abominable deeds. In verse three, he says they've turned aside and they go in a way that isn't good. In verse four, they want to swallow up the righteous and they don't call on God. And then in verse five, these people of all people in the world should be in great terror and fear of God's judgment. Don't you see David's not describing somebody who would say if you ask them, do you believe a God exists? The ancient in the ancient world, the modern atheists didn't exist. Everybody believed in God intellectually. But David's driving at people who should know the scriptures and know how to live. And they live as if God doesn't. That's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. The person who lives right when other people are watching. But in private, he or she really believes they're in private. And that's their mistake. Solomon says to the young man in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse nine, go your way and enjoy your youth. But know that for all these things, God will call you into judgment. God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14. The fool that says in his heart there is no God based on Psalm 14, one and Psalm 53, one is the person who believes that God's eyes are not in every place observing the evil and the good. But Solomon says in Proverbs five and verse twenty one, his eyes observe man's goings or Jeremiah twenty three, twenty three and twenty four. God says, am I not a God who's at hand and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself from me? Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? Jeremiah twenty three, twenty three and twenty four. The idea is people in their minds that live as if no matter what I do, I can't be seen by God. A profile of the biblical fool has to start with this one thing. The person who lives as if God can't see what they do. This person is more concerned with pretending than actually repenting of things that they've done wrong. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. This is the person that in their hearts, they want to make sure that they do right to be seen by others. But deep down inside Proverbs 14 and verse nine, fools make a mock at sin. Sin is a joke to a fool. Proverbs 26 and verse 21. This person is not genuinely interested in doing what pleases God. He or she is merely interested in keeping up appearances. And this person is the person that the Bible calls a fool. 
It's the person privately engaged in sexual sin. They know it's wrong, but they've got no plans of repenting. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. It's a person who's long winded in their praise of God, but short tempered of people made in his image. Jesus says they call their brother rocker or fool just flippantly. Matthew five and verse twenty two. It's the person that just talks about other people as if God has his AirPods in with the volume all the way up. But Psalm ninety four and verse nine says he who made the ear, does he not hear? Don't you know he sees us? Elihu was right in Job thirty four and verse twenty one when he says God observes all of man's steps. But the fool believes God can't see me. God doesn't know what I'm doing. I fooled the people and I can fool him. But that person is ultimately a fool. The first U.S. patent for what we call the transparent mirror came about in 1903. It's since been called the one dimensional or the two dimensional mirror. You've seen it in interrogation rooms, police lineups and sometimes in execution chambers. The way those mirrors work is the person that's typically in that room can only see their what? They can see their reflection, but people on the outside, they can see everything that's taking place within. And maybe in our world, maybe in our society, we think about the way we can visually see God or prohibit it from seeing God. And we can only see our own reflection. But we should trust and believe that God can look deep down, not only into the world, but into the human heart. And he sees everything that we do. God would love to catch us on our best behavior. But the reality is he sees us even when we're not. That means we should always talk like we're on a three way call because we are Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Every word we say leaps out of our mouths and it's going to be waiting for us at the end of life's line at the judgment. We should always behave as if we're under surveillance because he sees and knows everything. Jeremiah 16 and verse 17. The fool believes he can hide. Genesis 3 and verse 10 has to be one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Adam says to God, I knew that I was naked and I hid myself. There's no hide and seek with God. There's just seek. He sees everything. But the fool looks lives like God doesn't see him. Here's number two. The profile of a biblical, the biblical profile of a fool includes the second thing. The person that trusts in himself or in herself. A biblical fool lives like God can't see me. But number two tonight, this person trusts in themselves. You remember what Saul told Samuel in first Samuel chapter 10 and verse eight. He says, in seven days, I will come down. I'll meet you at the designated spot. I will offer up the sacrifice as the priest so the people can be prepared to go into battle. The seventh day came. Samuel did not come as soon as Saul wanted him to. First Samuel 13 has Saul saying these words. You delayed. And so I forced myself. Samuel said, Saul, what were you doing? First Samuel 13 and verse 13 says you have behaved foolishly. If you wouldn't have done this, God would have allowed your kingdom to go on forever and ever. But now the kingdom will be torn from you and given to one better than yourself. Question. What did Saul do that was foolish? He trusted in himself. The fool says to himself in relation to what God has to say, my plans are either better than God's or as good as God's. And this is always a foolish way to go about life. Proverbs 12 and verse 15 says a fool trusts in his own ways, but a wise person seeks advice. Proverbs 26 and verse 28 says he that trusts in his own mind is a fool. And in the Bible, people that trust in themselves, that rely on their own intellect, their own knowledge, their own wisdom, they're always on the trajectory to ultimately be separated from God. Turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three. And notice what's said in verses five and six. These may be the most famous verses in the entire book of Proverbs and definitely help us to see this second point. And that is the fool is the person that trusts in themselves. Notice verse five. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The Bible's warning us against trying to do what our heart is inclined to do, and that is to trust in ourselves. Can you think about all the people in the Bible who tried to do this? You just think about Asa in Second Chronicles 16. He was a good king and he was doing the right thing until he trusted in these foreign alliances. And the prophet Hananiah goes down to him in Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. And he says, you have done foolishly. And now for the rest of your time as king, you'll have wars. It's David when he wanted to number the people instead of realizing that with God, he already had the majority. Second Samuel 24 and verse 10, David says, I have sinned and have done foolishly. And he did. First Chronicles 21 and verse eight, 70,000 Israelites die because of David's disobedience. It's Ahaz trusting in himself. God says, I'll give you a sign, Ahaz, that I'll be with you. Make it as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Whatever you say, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, I don't need that. I've got Syria and all of these other people on my side. But he was a fool. It's the man in Luke chapter 12 who's rich toward himself, but not toward God. And God says to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required. Then whose will all these things be? It's the rich man who is rich in this life and poor in torment. Read Luke 16, 19 through 31. He's called the rich man until he gets to Hades. Once he's there, he's never called rich again in the entire parable because he died a foolish man. Because the fool always trusts in his or her own heart. Do you trust in yourself? I mean, do you really believe that you know how to live life better than God? Are you still in Proverbs chapter three? Notice what it says right after this. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Proverbs three and verse seven says, don't trust in your own direction. Don't think you can go about it your own way. But that's what most people do. Proverbs 16 and verse two says the fool thinks his whole way is right and he's right in all of his ways. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says a foolish person makes his own plans, but God's the one that will sort it out in the end. You see, foolish people always think their way is right. They know everything and they sort of view life as if God is their tag team partner, so to speak. God's in their corner cheering them on as they live life. And if in the event things become too much for them, they'll surely tap God in. But outside of needing God's help, I mean, really needing God's help, they pretty much have got it. They can do it themselves. But wisdom says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean? It means pray about everything, even the silly things that we might think aren't really important. It's in those moments that we really believe we're not wise enough to direct our own affairs. The Bible is trying to tell us that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17 and verse nine. And so we need to trust in the Lord with all of that and don't trust in ourselves. You and I probably trust in ourselves if we think these things, if we think things like, well, if it's beyond my resources and ability to do, it can't be done. Even though Jehoshaphat said in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12, we don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. We probably trust in ourselves if in our minds it's always all about numbers. Listen, numbers matter, but not all the time. God told Gideon in Judges 7 and verse 2, you've got too many. I want a small number so that when you get the victory, I get all the glory. But if it's always about numbers with us, if we won't step out in faith, unless we have the physical majority on our side, we probably trust in ourselves. If we spend more of our time worried about resume virtues instead of obituary virtues, how we look to other people and how other people see us is probably because we really say we trust in God. But we ultimately we just trust in ourselves. We probably trust in ourselves if we think, well, you know what? I've never thought of that before. And since I don't think it can be done, it probably can't be done. We think the buck stops with us. All knowledge 
belongs with us, but we'd be mistaken about that. We're probably trusting in ourselves if we think, you know what the problem with this world is? All the young people, they're silly, too much technology. Or no, all the old people, they're really not up to date on things. If we think wisdom is generational, Proverbs 15 and verse 5, we probably trust in ourselves. Listen, wisdom doesn't belong to the baby boomers or to Generation Z. Wisdom belongs to God. And anybody can have access to it. But we probably trust in ourselves if we think it's all up to us. You probably trust in yourself if your mood, for better or worse, is dictated by your finances. If you're really happy when money's good and if you get really down and everybody can tell you're in a bad mood because of money, it's because you trust in yourself. You believe that you do better with more as if God is limited by our financial resources. We probably trust in ourselves if we're always crippled with fear. Listen to Paul talking to the young preacher in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We probably trust in ourselves if we're crippled with frustration when we're out of control because we feel like we do better in life when we know how everything's going to work out. Instead of believing like David, my times are in your hands. Psalm 31 and verse 15. You see, the second thing in the biblical profile of a fool is a person who believes they're in control. But you don't get out of the third chapter of the Bible without realizing in biblical wisdom. That's where the problem really starts. Here's number three. The biblical profile of a fool is somebody who lives like God can't see them. It's a person who trusts in themselves. But here's number three. It's a person who's easily angered. Now, the Bible doesn't have a problem with anger and wholesale. The Bible doesn't come down on anger. There are things that we should be angry about. It said about Jesus in Mark three and verse five, when he was about to heal the man with the withered hand, he looked round about on the crowd with anger because they didn't think this should be done. And the Bible says that there are certain things that every one of us should be angry about. Woe to the man or woman who's never passionate or angry about anything. However, the Bible says foolish people are easily angered. I mean, quick tempered. They fly off the handle. That's a foolish person. Turn your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Again, in this wisdom literature tradition where they're trying to live, how do we work out the law? How do we live it out? Notice Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. Solomon's talking to the people of Israel as the preacher. And notice what he says in verse 9. He says, be not hasty in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of fools. The word for angry here isn't just mad. It's a person who's always irritable. I mean, any little thing frustrates them. Don't be quick in your spirit to be angry. One of the things that makes God approachable and inviting is that God does not get quickly angered with people. Isaiah 57 and verse 16, he says, I won't retain my anger. Psalm 145 and verse eight, God gets angry, but he doesn't retain his anger forever. But foolish people, I mean, you only got to push them a little bit and they're ready to fly off the handle. One of the marks of a person that's foolish, according to the Bible. Remember what a fool is. It's not just somebody who's not smart. It's a person that's on his way or her way to ultimate destruction. It's a person who they just can't control their anger. And so it gets the best of them. The Bible talks about this in so many passages in the book of Proverbs about being wise enough to subdue your spirit and not be subdued by it so that you're not overwhelmed with much anger and ultimately undo the working of God in your life. Be a wise person who is not always succumb to the pushes and pulls of the world and live in a way that honors and glorifies God. Solomon says the angry person is a person that's ultimately on his way to being ruined and being destroyed. It's the kind of thing. That made Will Smith famous in 2022. He had been nominated four times for the best actor and people that like his acting. They had lobbied for him. I mean, I am legend. 
they talk about the movie Seven Pounds or whatever other movies. He, and he should have won. And finally, the year he won, he's not famous for winning the Best Male Actor, the Oscar Award. He's famous for the slap that he laid on Chris Rock in a moment of frustration. He will forever be remembered. That night will forever be remembered, not for him being a master at his craft, but for him being a slave to his passions. It's what Abigail says to David about her husband in 1 Samuel 25 and verse 25. She says his name is Nabal, which means fool, and so he is. He can't control it. We should be asking ourselves, how many times am I going to ride down Scottsville Road and allow a traffic jam to turn me into a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum? I mean, how many times is that going to happen to me before I learn, you know what, I should be better than that? Proverbs 14, 11. I need to learn how to control my spirit because a foolish person fully gives vent to wrath. A wise person keeps it in. Proverbs 19, 11. I'm just not going to let that keep happening. Only a foolish person gets mad because other people do things that he or she thinks, well, I would have never done anything like that without failing to see, failing to realize that a wise person lets people make their own choices, live out their own consequences. And I don't have to be sovereign over everything. I think that's at the heart of what Jesus is driving at in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You say to your brother, you fool, you idiot, you silly person. But you don't have to be in control of everything. Only fools think they have to always be in control. And if they're not, they fly off the handle. They get angry. They get frustrated. And the worst of them comes out. The Bible says the wise person has learned to control his or her spirit. And we're not slaves to how we feel in the moment. God's not against us being angry, but he is against us being slaves to our anger. Romans chapter one, Paul talks about the wrath of God being poured out on all the unrighteousness of men and tucked in this chapter of all of these things that brings on God's wrath. Romans 129 says they're filled with anger. These fits and these outbursts of wrath, according to Paul in Galatians five and verse 20, will keep a person out of heaven. You get so angry and frustrated that you could just lose it and you might lose your soul as a result. Tom Hanks is known as a good guy in Hollywood. He's known for playing Forrest Gump and other good and happy roles. His friends, people that know him well, were shocked with his recent movie, A Man Called Otto, where he plays this grumpy and frustrated older man. By the end of the movie, well, I don't want to give you any spoilers, but let's just say the old man's heart is melted. But people that know Hanks best say they can't believe a person with that type of a happy disposition could even for a moment play that type of a grumpy and frustrated man. He's known for being so happy. So upbeat that people couldn't believe that he could play the opposite role. The question for us is, what shocks people about us? Are people more surprised to see us smiling or frowning? Are people more surprised when, hey, you actually are having a good day? Are people in our homes on eggshells because if we had a bad day, that means for them a bad night? Are people around us always on edge that we just might fly off the handle if you get us wrong or at the wrong time? If that's us, the Bible says we're foolish. Here's number four. The biblical profile of a fool is somebody who lives like God can't see him, who trusts in themselves, who is easily angered. And you probably knew this one was coming, but they're ruined by their speech. Now, the book of Proverbs probably talks about the tongue as much as it does anything else. But as you read through the various statements in the book of Proverbs, one of the things that stands out is this. Solomon doesn't say and the other writers don't say there's any one thing about the tongue that can ruin a person. It's just this collective body of work. This person says foolish things. Proverbs 18 and verse seven, for example, if you turn over there, it says a fool is ruined by the words of his mouth and his lips bring him into a snare. But what is he or she said that brings them into that situation? Look at Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Same chapter. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat its fruit. A foolish person just says whatever comes to mind. 
They can't control their speech. Anything and everything slips out all the time. They don't have control of their speech. And as a result, they become slaves to whatever comes out over and over again. Solomon drives out our speech. Proverbs 13 and verse three. He who keeps his mouth keeps his life. He that opens wide his mouth will have destruction. Proverbs 19 and verse 10 says in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he that refrains his tongue is wise. You could look at any list of people in popular culture and see where people have been totally undone. Their lives have been totally upended merely by the words that they've spoken. But one in recent memory would be Donald Sterling. You know him, the famous former owner of the NBA L.A. Clippers. In 2014, he was forever banned from the NBA and fined $2.5 million because a private conversation between him and his then fiance got out and he made racist statements about his players and about other individuals in the league. The problem for Mr. Sterling was not the things that he said. And it wasn't even that somebody caught him and recorded those statements. The ultimate problem was his heart was rotten before the words ever came out of his mouth. You see, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that which edifies and builds up those that hear it. But the biblical profile of a fool is somebody who is always ruined by what they say. They just had to say it. They couldn't hold back. And they blame it on all sorts of things. You know, maybe it's the time of the morning. Maybe they haven't had enough coffee. Maybe it's what they ate or what they didn't eat. Maybe it's the age of their children or the station of where they are in life rather than honestly evaluating life and saying, you know what? I need to do better about this. I need to bring my tongue into submission to the spirit of God and not just say whatever I want, because for all of these things, God will bring me into judgment. I won't just curse because it's a funny story and I'm just going along with the flow of things. No, a fool is a person who just doesn't control their speech. And in the end, Solomon says this person is ruined by what they say. Here's number five. The biblical profile of a fool in the fifth place is a person who hates wisdom and instruction. Go to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one and notice verse seven. The biblical profile of a fool is somebody who hates wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, Solomon says in verse seven, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is not a person that's unbookish. It's not that they're a foolish person because they don't like to read and they're not studious. It's a person that has sort of a know-it-all attitude. This person's disposition toward everything is there's really nothing new for me to learn. And you might know why this is a problem, because God is the only know-it-all. But if we despise wisdom and instruction, we're going to have problems when God comes along and tries to teach us things. Proverbs 9, 8 through 10, Solomon says, teach a wise person and he'll become wiser. But don't waste time with the fool because he'll hate you for it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But foolish people, they don't want to learn. They know everything. Eugene Peterson says the task of Scripture is to teach humanity at the risk of their own displeasure, the mysteries of God and the secrets of their own hearts. The task of scripture is to teach humanity at the risk of their own displeasure, the mysteries of God and the secrets of their own hearts. What does that mean? It means this. The Bible is not designed to tell you and me how great we are. It's designed to tell us how great God is. Great is our Lord. First Chronicles 16 and verse 25. But it means more than that. It means when we read the Bible, the Bible is designed to correct us and show us where we just might be mistaken. How shall a young man cleanse his way and make his way pure by taking heed according to God's word, Psalm 119 and verse 9. 
This means that the Bible is designed to show us places where we just might be getting it wrong and where we need to change and deviate our course. But listen, if you hate wisdom and instruction, if I think, well, I've already got all the right positions, it's in a person that has this mindset. Maybe you've said this or heard somebody say this. I don't care what you say. I will never believe X. That is the profile of a person that's foolish. That's a person that's saying, regardless of whatever the evidence says, I've already made up my mind and my disposition. I will never believe this, regardless of where the evidence goes, regardless of what the truth is. And the Bible says that person is a because the reality is we don't have all of the knowledge and we might just be missing something that would help us get more aligned with God's word. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. In the first six verses of Psalm 19, David's talking to us about special revelation or general revelation. You go out, you look in creation, you know God exists. But then in seven down through the end of the chapter, he talks about special revelation. Beginning in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And then in verse eight, he says that the Bible or the law of God will make wise the simple and give us understanding and enlightenment. Drop down to verse 12. He says, who can understand his error? Cleanse me from secret faults. Do you know what verse 12 means? Who can understand his error? The Bible saying there probably are things that you and I don't know about ourselves that are wrong and out of step with the word of God. How are we going to know those things unless God tells us? What does he mean? Keep me innocent from secret faults. We sung about it a moment ago. Secret sins. There are things if God doesn't come into our lives and invade it through the spirit of God, through his word, that we just keep practicing. But the person that hates wisdom and instruction, when God taps on their heart and says, hey, here's a passage. You haven't been in line with this. They say, well, I don't want to hear that. I'm already right. I already know what I believe. I know I'm doing everything right. This person doesn't think that they have more wisdom to gain. They believe they are wisdom. And the secret faults that God would shine his light on, they ultimately despise. You and I know and love people that we tried to teach the truth to about New Testament Christianity. And they say, I'm just not interested. You show them passages and you say, hey, the Bible says this. And hey, this is what you've got to do to be safe. Hey, here's what the Bible says about the church. And maybe they like the way that error is packaged better. Or maybe somebody in their family believed something for a long time and they just can't change. Or somebody they really respect just couldn't possibly be wrong. And we shake our heads and it breaks our heart. And we can't believe that they would hate wisdom and instruction to that degree. To the point that they reject the truth, even when it's been clearly revealed. But if our eyes are open. And if we're honest, we know that sometimes we're guilty of the same thing we despise in others. Sometimes a spirit of anti-intellectualism swells among even the people of God, and we don't want to know any more than we already know. We're content to continually have swimming contests in the shallow end of the theological pool. I know more baptism verses than you. And I can tell you several things about the plan of salvation, and we never graduate. And we might call it many things. The Bible would just simply say, that's a person who hates wisdom And who hates instruction because you don't want to learn. You don't want to grow. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, you don't want to go on to spiritual maturity. And so long as that's our lot, God says, I can't work with you. You've got to love knowledge, love to grow, realizing that we might have missed something. And if we've missed it, we want to be further aligned with his word. We ought to be saying, as Neil mentioned this morning, I want to be a Berean. I want to know more scripture so that I can please and ultimately glorify God. But a fool hates wisdom and instruction. It's a person that doesn't have the heart of a the spirit of a student. Are you teachable? Are you somebody who has ever changed the biblical position where you said, you know what? I thought this, but I've studied the Bible, not anybody's book or podcast or commentary, but I've studied the Bible and I was mistaken and I've changed about that. Surely that's true of all of us because the only expert on God is God. And so every one of us should be learning new things about him that impress us, that shape us 
and that changes us. But only a foolish person thinks, I already hold all the right positions. I've already got it all figured out. I've got my rebuttals loaded. I've got my hand raised. And I've got my rejections already pre-prepared. There's nothing new for me to learn. James says in James 1.21, lay apart all filthiness and overflowing wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. This is a person who realizes the truth isn't just for those people out there. It's also for this person that's in here. Here's number six. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel. And let's just start tonight. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10 for this one. Number six, the biblical profile of a fool is somebody who poisons everything through envy and comparison. Saul was a pretty good king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I told you 1 Samuel 10. Go to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. Saul was a pretty good king until he heard a song on the radio one day that ruined his life forever. It's in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 7. They sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his what? It's 10,000. He was never the same again. First Samuel 18 and verse nine says from that day forward, he eyed David and he could never get his eyes off of him. He chased David and ran around caves all around Palestine, hating this man because he let pride and envy and comparison poison everything about him. One time in a moment of sobriety, when he was finally thinking clearly in first Samuel 26 and verse 21, he runs up on David and he finally admits, I have sinned greatly. And he says what we as readers have been knowing for several chapters up to this point. And in first Samuel 26 and verse 21, he says, I've sinned greatly and I have played the fool. And he did. And we do every time we let sin, every time we let jealousy and comparison into our lives. The biblical profile of a fool is somebody who poisons everything through jealousy and through comparison. This is the person that feels like God must be getting it wrong. And why are they getting all this attention? And why is everybody calling them for business? And why does everybody want to be their friend? Remember, God blesses everybody from heaven and he gives us every good and every perfect thing. James 1:17. But envy and comparison says God's gotten it wrong. In fact, envy and comparison flips the human response. It says, I'm happy when you're sad and I'm sad when you're happy. Instead of Romans 12, 15, I want the best for you. I want to rejoice when you rejoice and I want to weep when you weep. God can bless our lives richly. But in the end, there is no heaven that envy can't turn into a hell. The devil loves to do this. Just as soon as you get blessed, he says, yeah, but you don't have what they have. Adam and Eve had the whole world, the richest people in the history of the world. And the devil says, let's talk about the one tree that isn't yours. What about this tree, the knowledge of good and evil? The foolish person allows envy and comparison to poison everything. We spend all of our lives talking about what other people have and what we don't have and what we wish we had. And we're saying, God, you're mixing it up. Those blessings should be mine. And as a result, we miss our blessing. There is a book called The Acres of Diamonds. And in it, there's a story about a man named Ali Hoffett. He was a rich and wealthy farmer and landowner. He was successful and he was pretty much content until one day he heard about diamonds. As a result, he sold everything that he had, his farm, all of his land. And he went on a quest to find diamonds. He spent the rest of his life doing that. He died a broken and penniless man. He never did find the diamonds. The man that bought his farm found out that underneath the soil were acres of diamonds. Hoffitt died a poor and broken man because he missed the riches that were right underneath his feet. Don't be a fool. Don't spend your whole life looking across the fence at how green the grass is for somebody else. Water your own lawn and appreciate the blessings that God has given you, realizing he never makes a mistake. He gives you all things richly to enjoy. Plutarch says so long as there's anybody in the world, anybody anywhere that will look at your life and say, I would rather be in your shoes, even your present state that you might right now despise. He says as long as that's the case, 
you do greatly err when in that present state to mumble, grumble or complain. If there's anybody anywhere that would be dying to switch places with you, even tonight, you do greatly err to mumble and grumble and complain in that present state. You see, the foolish person poisons everything through envy and through comparison. Nothing's good enough for them. God couldn't bless them with enough blessings to ever make them content. But when we find ourselves saying, why not me in relation to things that other people have, we need to learn to teach our hearts to turn the question. Instead of why not me, we should be saying, why me? Why do I get to live here? Why do I have these family members? Why do I get to be a part of the work that God's doing? Why do I get to eat this food and live in this place and in this time? Why am I blessed with the degree of health that I have instead of why not me, which says I deserve everything? We should be saying, why me? I deserve nothing and I've received everything as a gift. Here's the seventh and final thing tonight. The biblical profile of a fool is somebody who knows better, but they won't do better. Matthew chapter 7, go ahead and turn there as we bring the lesson to a close. Neil ended here this morning and we'll end here tonight. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24, he talks about the two individuals that build their lives on his teaching or fail to do so. And in Matthew 7 and verse 26, Jesus says, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them, I'll liken him unto a foolish man was built his house on the sand. The rains came. The floods blew, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and great was the fall of it. The biblical profile of a fool in the seventh place tonight is the person who knows better, but they just won't do better. Jesus says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. John 13 and verse 17. But according to God, a fool is a person that says, yeah, I know that's right, but they won't change. The Bible comes down hard on this person. It's the person you see in between services and you say, hey, you missed this morning. They say, oh, yeah, I know Hebrews 10:25. I know I should have been there, but they've got no plans to come next week. It's the person that knows that their life is out of step with God. And you can even start to quote the passages to them and they say, yeah, I probably should be doing better. But I really I, I will one day, but not tonight. It's the person that hears a sermon even like this one and says, I knew that was my problem when I came tonight and I've got no plans of ever repenting. It's the person that knows everything in the dark is going to come to the light. Luke 13, two and three. But they live as if God hasn't paid the light bill and he won't cut the lights on, but he will. The Bible shows no mercy to this person. You ever talk about a person in evangelism and we kind of wave them off. We say, well, he knows better. Listen, that's the person we need to talk to. God says that person will be judged with no mercy. James 2, 13. He or she will be beat with many stripes. Luke 12, 47 through 48. They're like a dog that returns to his vomit and a pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. That person is in the worst spiritual state anybody could be in because they know better, but they won't do better. It's the person, as Russell mentioned in Bible class this morning, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it. James 4, 17, you couldn't find a person who God's angrier at than the person that knows all of those things and says, you know what? I'm going to live in rebellion to God. That person is a fool, an eternal fool, and they'll have all eternity to think about it if they don't repent. Jesus comes down hard on the person in that state because there are millions of people who've never heard those truths, who haven't had an opportunity to respond to things. We might just wave our hand at it and say, you know what, I'll get to that when I feel like it. Jesus says the rains will come, the floods will follow, the winds will blow and woe to the person who's heard the truths from my word, but has failed to build his or her life on those things. It's interesting when you read Matthew seven and you get down to verses 24 and 20 through 27, the similarities in the houses. They pretty much go through the same things. They have to suffer through the same fate. But the one that stands in the end is the person who was wise enough not just to hear, but to hear and then to act and to do. The Bible comes down hard on fools. 
And the Bible being the mirror of the word of God is really not designed to make us feel good or bad about ourselves. The Bible's designed to tell us the mysteries of God and the secrets of our own hearts. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And as we look at all that the Bible says about a person that's a fool, remember, not just a mistaken, misguided or misinformed person, but a person who is running headlong into the wrath and judgment of God. If we look at the biblical profile of a fool and we find our reflection staring back at us, the worst thing we can do is turn around and go our way. But what we can do is profess what Saul did. I have played the fool and resigned to not play again. And if we're honest, all of us have at some point. You read through the book of Proverbs and you start realizing the foolish person is me. My anger has gotten the best of me. I said things that I shouldn't. I've coveted things that other people have. I've lived like God can't see me. And though I know the scriptures, I haven't always lived up to my biblical IQ and the things that I know that I should. And the good news for those of us in that condition is that God saves fools, too. Paul says he saved the foolish in order to confound the wise. First Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, so that in all things, God might be the one who gets the glory. God doesn't want us to be smart. He just really wants us to be wise. The wise person says, God, I'm coming to you to be saved because I believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Save me from myself is something I can't do on my own. And I want to rise to walk in newness of life. And when I find myself making foolish decisions, I want to go to the wisdom of your word, study it, read it. And put it into practice so that I might be better. Maybe tonight you need to respond to heaven's invitation. We're going to be letting the song to encourage us if you need to respond. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.